Hello, friends. This is Against Everyone with Connor Habib. In times of obvious schisms between human beings and their structures, which is now, obviously, now more <laughs> than ever, uh, we can see that there's a stirring up of opportunity as well, that only the frenetic and urgent intensity of these kinds of schism times can reveal to us. In times like this, we can see that there have been many pathways available to us all along, but that we were stuck, that we can be there for each other and dissolve obstruction because we need something more radical. We need something more fundamental. One of our major obstructions is money, or at least the way we think about money, especially since we think that money drives so many conflicts and power struggles. Obviously, right now, a lot of the problems that we see in the world seem to be driven by the desire for more money, and it's accompanying uh, more friend, which is more power. But is it money that is the problem? Or is it even the economy or the form of economics we use? I mean, those are definitely some of the places that people like to lay the blame for the problems that we have today. Isn't it all just numbers moving from one place to another? And if it is just numbers, is there a problem with number? Is there a problem with quantity? Is there a problem with the way that numbers have a fixity to them, a sort of cold uh truth? Well, we think it's truth. <laughs> and what are numbers anyway? Why don't we talk about that when we talk about forms of economy, economics? Why don't we talk about quantity? These are just a few questions which are radical and fundamental that could be asked, I would say must be asked, <laughs> to confront the economic realm and one of its main attendants, money. It's with that sense of investigation that I turn to the occult and esotericism for direction because, well, it's weird. Uh, it has a way of approaching the world or looking at the world or involving itself with the world that is not like all the other prescribed pathways that we're used to, the ones that we've inherited, the ones that lead us mostly to marginal change marginal results, nothing radical, nothing fundamentally shifting. So there's this whole storehouse or wellspring of imaginative direction and pathway that lies in esotericism and the occult. So to talk about all this in relation to money, I've turned again to my favorite money carer, money tender, <laughs> tender, Pilar Lesko. Pilar leads explorations into money all the time, and she last appeared on the show on episode 210, where we talked about going beyond money magic, you know, abundance, manifestation, all that kind of stuff that people think is so radical, but has all sorts of problems. Uh, we talked about going beyond that to something she calls money medicine. We do more of that on this episode, but we also talk about some of the things I mentioned before, the fixity of numbers, the spiritual reality of geometry, the power of shape, you know, like squares, circles, stars shapes in economics. I know that sounds weird, but I think it's a really interesting direction to go, and more. This is a deep, and as always with Pilar, hilarious, laughter-filled episode. It's 
one of my favorite episodes, I've got to say. I have a lot of favorites. I know I say I have a lot of favorites, but this really is one of my favorites because of how playful and fun and yet deep the conversation is. And I know you'll love it as much as I did recording it. So please thrive and listen to this episode. Enjoy this episode. Also, here, before I start, I would say, let's transform money starting today by supporting this show, <laughs> by supporting Against Everyone with Connor Beeb through Patreon. I know that that sounds glib. Oh, well, yeah, let's transform money by you giving me money. But the thing with Patreon that I continue to love, in spite of any of the problems it might have, is that when you support the show via patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, you're not paying me for my labor. The wage-labor relationship is insane. The idea that we have to work for a living, uh, <laughs> to make a living, <laughs> that, that, that's so offensive to me, um, that we work and die. I, I was going to say work or die, but as I've said in other episodes of this show where I address the great and cool <laughs> anti-work politics uh, that I'm so interested in, it's work and die because so many people are killed by their jobs physically, but also in spirit and soul. Anyway, you don't get entrenched in all that by sharing support through Patreon because Patreon is about giving support for someone whose being you appreciate in the world or a show or art that you really like its being in the world. So the show is always free. It's available to everybody. So you're not paying for the show. And you're not even paying me for my labor because some episodes take a lot longer than other episodes. So it's not wrapped up in this money, time, labor thing. It's just support. So I ask listeners if they like the show, if you like the show, to give a one-time annual or a monthly pledge to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib to support it all. This show is exclusively funded by listeners. There's no other money coming into this podcast since advertisements from sponsors do not fit with the mission of this show. They just don't resonate with me. Okay, that's it. That's the money speech before the money episode with the money tender, Pilar Lesko. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Here we go. everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Hello again, Pilar Lesko. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start with money, but we'll see if we stay in money. Okay. Um, okay. Gosh, it's got to be over 10 years ago now. I took this like money abundance self-help course. I'm not going to say who it was with, um, but you know, I was kind of at the end of my rope. I was 36 and I was like, I have everything I want. I'm doing great, except I've never really made a lot of money. Who makes money? Ugh, those abundance people. Oh, they're so fucking annoying. Do I really have to look at them? Okay. I will. Then, then I did. And I like, <clears throat> you know, in two months doubled 
the amount of money I was making. I mean, it was like just that mind blowing thing where like, oh shit, like it works. This sucks that it works because I wanted to dismiss it, all that kind of stuff. So fast forward to um, a few months ago, the same person was offering that same course. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to check it out, see how it goes. There was no update to the course. It was the same thing that this person had been saying 10 years ago. And, you know, it was a massive course. Tons of people took it. And to the teacher's credit, did it to donate all the money to, you know, these charities and you could pick the charity and all that. So that was great, you know, but I noticed that people in the course just were not like it was not working for them. So what had obviously worked 10 years ago was not working anymore now. And every answer just from the person who ran it seemed to be a kind of frustrated answer. Like, well, you just got to push through. Like you're just not believing in, you know, your ability to manifest this and so on and so forth. Okay. Everybody who's here for Pilar, let me finish the story. I promise Pilar's going <laughs> to talk as much as me, but let me get through the story. Oh, fine. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> your cadence is great. Thanks. So <laughs> great cadence. So I like, <laughs> so, um, so what, what I, I just like, why is this not really working? I mean, some of it seemed like some of the integrity of the course itself was just not really kept coherent because there was no very little update. And I was like, really, you've learned nothing in 10 years. But then also I was like, okay, something, something's off here. Something's wrong. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, we just went through a few years of people um, in the sort of, uh, mental or psychic or spiritual sphere of economy, really learning that money was not going to be the out for their problems anymore in the way that it had been. So even if you were absurdly wealthy during lockdowns, you still were affected by the way that the economy was affected by the pandemic. Um, very, very few people were untouched. I mean, people who were untouched are people whose money, whose wealth is not measured by any thing that we understand. Like, um, you know, like it's like, you know, people in like warlord families or something like that. I'm sure we're like fine. But like most people had, you know, were affected in some way. Obviously, not equally. Some people experience much more difficulty and challenge than others. And very often that was based on class. But I think it revealed that money was not the way to leave the world karma anymore. You couldn't necessarily escape what was happening to the world just by having more money. You were inextricably linked to the all, to everybody, and that you weren't going to be able to just sort of pull out. And so now collectively, that means a massive reevaluation, literal reevaluation of what money is and what it does. So, and I thought that's going to make all this shit not work the same way. Like this stuff all now needs a massive update just because of that, much less all the other stuff that was happening. So I thought we would start there, <laughs> start with the massive update and what you're noticing. And if that vibes with, you know, if that resonates with where you're seeing things go and what kind of updates 
you think are necessary to those systems? Okay, small question. What was being taught in this course? It, it was like how to achieve usually a financial goal, but a goal within two months um, by doing all kinds of manifestation, high vibration kind of stuff. Like, the you know, using the old tools to get what you want, basically. The way I'm going to speak to this first actually has less to do verbally with, with the whole what the world has gone through on the surface piece. But I think what I'm going to share actually deeply connects to what you said. You're just looking at it through a different prism. So (laughs) all this, this um, old school slash new age manifestation work, the majority of it is... The, the majority of it engages mainly the conscious mind and a little bit of the subconscious mind. Or, or I mean, the ratios could be different. You might find someone whose style is like 80% subconscious, 20% conscious mind. But keep in mind, the through line is that it engages mind. So whether that's affirmations or falling asleep visualizing yourself rich or <laughs> or um what are all the things A- acting as if it already happened or putting it on your mirror and then of course like you often couple that with taking action etc so in my experience in the money space fr- from the moment i stepped on the scene something I noticed was the reason this only works for some people is because the idea that just our thoughts create our reality is flawed. Mm. It's, it's a lot more nuanced and vast and interdependent, um, our reality creation than just what we think. And so to what you said, I imagine the last few years have really dropped people into more of themselves. People probably have more access to who they are. Mm-hmm. Like to put it in a more metaphysical way, I wouldn't be surprised if the amount of like the part of us that isn't incarnated, if more of that dropped in for people in the last three years at varying percentages. Mm-hmm. As that happens, you become more aware, even if you're not consciously aware of it, that just your mind isn't the only thing running the show. And then when you take, when you, when you try and get things you want through utilizing just that, and you almost always, and I I see this in my work, almost always have to abandon or override something in order to do that, the more you become more of who you are, the more you feel that. And then I have this theory that the more you become more of who you are, the more your soul is like, we're not doing this anymore. We That worked up to 2012. Contracts have shifted. You're interested in exploring something different now. So overriding um, your wounding or your pain from your dad 
to just think these thoughts to get money doesn't work for your system anymore. Mm -hmm. And like that worked when you were less conscious and now it doesn't. So, and, and obviously everyone's different. And something I talk about, like with one of my teachers, he always brings up, there are people who live purely in the idea that I, I create reality through my will and I control reality through my will. And he talks about how there are people who will spend like four or five lifetimes doing that before they give it up and how this isn't just everybody on the planet is going to all go through it at the same time. But something I've been noticing is people either don't want to abandon themselves in the name of getting what they think they want, or if they're not consciously aware that they don't want that, some part of their system is and is making sure it doesn't happen. And then they're left feeling annoyed that classic manifestation stuff isn't working for them in the same way, or it's working, they're getting stuff, and they're like, is this it? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so something I, I gave a course earlier this year called Up From Ruins, which was about called do, doing destiny work. So I have this like idea, I've been thinking about destiny this whole year. And that's part of what, you know, I hear you saying relates to a lot of what I was thinking about with destiny was like, I was at uh, I was at a cafe in Dublin, and there was just this group of like four women like talking, but that like they were the only other people in the cafe, and I was like sitting at the table, and they're like, "Come talk to us," and I was like, "Okay, great." So I went over and I sat and talked with them. Um, and the one woman, she was very again, there's that like had this kind of manifesty thing, which is not really that present in Ireland. Like um, Ireland has a real ambition issue, which is both good and bad that it has this issue. But this woman, she was from somewhere else. And she said, we all need to talk about one thing that we're manifesting. Like, what are we going to manifest? And then the next time we see each other, we'll have it. And everybody said these things and it got to me and I was like, fuck, like, okay. I was like, look, I don't do that anymore. I was like, I used to do that and it works really well. But what I'm trying to do now is to stand in my destiny so I don't manifest anything. Like I'm trying to actually fall back into who I am or take a step into this column of light, you know, of my being. I said all these things. They must have been like, what the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> like I'm like the column of light I step into, you know, <laughs> like, but I was like, and I just, but I just want, I just want to be that and allow who I am to show me what's meant to come into being in my life. And that's, you know, that just, I tell that story just to give the sort of basic principle that I'm working on with some of this destiny stuff. It's like, and I, you know, I further explained it by saying, you know, like my life, uh, my, my life isn't perfect, but my destiny is perfect. And so I want to be in my perfect destiny. Um, and I don't know that I will be like, I'm not going to, I probably won't realize every aspect of my being this time around, but the more I do that, the less I'm trying to make things happen with my will, which is really just magic or, you know, it's another name for that. So I really like everything that you're saying. And I think, yeah, actually let me stand back and maybe give you space to respond to that. I, what, what you're saying is just bringing me to 
something I contemplate a lot and think that as a species, we're like really working out our relationship to, and that's desire. Mm -hmm. In in the manifestation circles, a lot of the rhetoric I've heard is if you have a desire, it's meant to be yours, (laughs) Mm -hmm. period. No need to think beyond the desire. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I've also spent a lot of time um, in more they're not saying they're non-dual, but they're they're still coming out of that um like very transcendent style of spirituality where desires are meant to be transcended and um our our role is to just become completely empty so that we can be filled with the desires of the divine. And I see this as a pole and yeah, yeah. these are two extremes. And what I've learned and continue to learn is that a lot of us are really interested in exploring full spectrum humanity. So not transcendence. We don't want to transcend our personal experience, but in that full spectrum humanity, there's also an agreement to explore things like contrast and difficulty and contradiction and limitation, which the other end of the pole tells you, if you have a desire, it's meant to be yours. And it, there, there isn't anything else at play other than I. And what I've learned and continue to learn is desires, the, the only function that of desire that I can prove to myself that is like a clear function is they bring you into deeper engagement with life. How they do that might be something that happens purely of your will. It might be that you don't get that thing at all. It might be that that desire brings you closer to an aspect of yourself that actually desires something else. It might be that in it. And, but the, the key here is your engaging desires, not making them your God, but also not writing them off as something you're no longer trying to experience. And that's mm-hmm. nuanced and requires you to be in more of a collaborative relationship with yourself and all of life and lets things like your will and also your ability to surrender have to have equal seats at the table. It's just a a much more nuanced and kind of elegant exploration that I know to a lot of people on each of these polls, they're like, no, no. Like not that's not what I want to do right now. But what I hear you saying when you're like sitting with these women is that you're coming in, you're you're having a more collaborative experience with life. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love I mean, that's a really, first of all, a generous way to say it. <laughs> Cause sometimes like it doesn't always feel collaborative, but it is. But that is it. I mean, and I like, you know, every desire is here for me. Sure. And so is everything. But it do- that doesn't mean fulfilling it is what I'm supposed to do. I could fulfill it, mm-hmm. probably. I- and I'm not saying that everybody can fulfill every desire. But, I- you know, I know all the tricks if I, you know, really need them. But they become increasingly exhausting. Like, sometimes... I don't mean exhausting because they're harder for me, but they seem just so out of step with so much that's going on in my life. And sometimes the desires would really, really 
uh, <laughs> like make things easier for me if I went for them. Like I've had a, a, like a health problem, like a pretty chronic health problem since February. And I know actually what would happen if I went to the doctor, um, the meta, you know, the allopathic doctor, what they would do, probably it would take the issue away. I've sat with this thing the entire time because I keep learning stuff from it and it's, it's very uncomfortable and I'm not telling anybody to do that. I, you know, do what you need to do with your health, but um, my desire, it, you know, the immediate desire is like, get rid of this, like go through, you know, <laughs> and like, just, just go get rid of it. But I'm like, no, no, like I need to sit with this issue because I'm learning more about myself from the things that it's, denied me from the things that it's uh, made me consider about my own body, about um, what I want in my life. And it's been like mind blowing. And so I think that's how I hear what you're saying. And it, it's something that you talk about a lot, I think, um, and write about a lot, which is like, look, these things are, they are, it is all like teacher if you want it to be teacher you know, and you don't always have to want that. And sometimes it's just, okay, you can't cope. And I get it. But I also think it's like, it's really interesting that like some of the desires that go away when you sit with them for a while and they're like, okay, you don't want to, you, you want to learn from me. You don't want to try to like manifest me into like the heaviness of material presence. They do come back later and they're so much cleaner and so much clearer. Mm -hmm. You know, and I find that really interesting too, where I'm like, oh, maybe I do want all that money that I told myself I wasn't going to go for before, but it feels good now. And that's sometimes the desires come actually to be cleaned. Yes, I 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> there, there will be. Well, let me back up what what we're talking about and what you just said you're doing if i were like in more practitioner mode or like teacher mode the thing i would say is that so and i don't mean this like rudely <laughs> but that poll i was saying before um those two ends are easy ways out mm -hmm. they don't require you to cultivate a lot of capacity or skillfulness what we're talking about and what you just brought up that you're doing, if you're going to do something like that, you have to become more chiseled. Like you, you have to walk into the fire and let it like shape you a little bit. Mm -hmm. You have to really like meet life as it is and let it turn you into something different than what you were before you were engaging it to that degree. And that Not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone desires to do that. Not everyone has the capacity for that. But what, what we're talking about, I, I have this joke with one of my friends of like in manifestation, they're like, manifest like all of your dreams. And this thing we're talking about, this is how all your dreams come true. 
Mm-hmm. You just have to be humbled in by the recognition that so many of your dreams, your conscious mind has not yet delivered you. And you see in hindsight, you wouldn't have seen it anyway if it had tried to deliver it to you. Or you see in hindsight, I wouldn't have had the capacity to walk through that anyway. So I understand why it's here now. Or like you said, here's this desire again. Here's everything that's happened in that time period that's made it so that I can probably be a much better steward of this desire and of what's going to come of it. This is like what you were saying, where it's more destiny oriented. Totally, totally. And when I think about, when I think about that, what, you know, that that's was, you know, I'd say that's wisdom. So like in the, um, I've brought this up on the show before, but do you know Peter Dunov or Pinsa Duono? Do you know who he is? This is no. a Bulgarian spiritual teacher. Oh, well, I'll hook you up after. Not with, well, <laughs> I guess with him, but he's dead. Um, but I'll, <laughs> I'll send you. You can up. still hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, his drawing of the pentagram, each line, it has a different aspect. So, um if you, I, I guess I won't go through describing the whole thing to the audience, they can just look it up. But if you start at the top and then go down to the bottom right as the first line, that's truth. And then when you come up, that's love. And then when you come across the center for that center line of the star, that's wisdom. And it's blue, red, and yellow. He says something like, love is the beginning of life and truth is the end of life. And in between stands wisdom. And it, it makes sense to me that he would mark truth as the end of life. I mean, we can't know who we are until we die, really. We can't know what we've done with this lifetime because it's an entire cycle. And it is sort of naturally bounded in some ways or, or membranous by that passage into death. Um, so we, when we have that phase change into death, so the truth of our lives is our life. I mean, is our entire life. And, you know, and we're born through and out of love. We incarnate through and out of love. So nobody argues in some ways that destiny exists. There are two poles of destiny for sure. We're here, we're born, and then we die. In a secular humanist, the most atheistic person in the world has to admit <laughs> that there must be some sort of destiny there, that these two moments must happen for existence um, for a human being. Everything that happens in between is wisdom. And so that wisdom um, that connects the two, that's what I want to work with. So if anybody's ever thought of improving their lives or making the world a better place, or even just wishing for a better world, um, wanting to make their lives better, they're engaging with what happens between the two poles of their destiny. They're thinking about what do I do with what happens between these two pole points uh, on this star. Wow, beautiful. (laughs) The, The only thing I have to say to that is that, and, and this is like one of my, I call it one of my favorite delusions. It's like top three for me mm. is it's so easy <laughs> to 
get lost in the delusion of thinking we know what other people should be doing Mm -hmm. and looking at someone and thinking, well, they're not cultivating wisdom or that's not what they should be doing. When what you just described is like this beautiful, like all encompassing picture that, and this, this is something I work with a lot of like within that, um, what is cultivating wisdom to me and what that looks like cannot be put on everyone else I see. And there are people who I'm going to look at who I'm going to think are so far off that track, like not paying attention to it at all, who are still on it just in a completely different timing. Um, I have an email going out for money medicine, I think next week on it's called my favorite monster and it's on how that delusion if you just insert into that delusion what other people should or shouldn't be doing with money that is something i see that people who have like a greater depth of awareness that's often one of their biggest points of resistance to money as an energy as a whole beyond nuance and specificities it's just they have so much resistance to what's going on in the world, our systems, our leaders, the way money is being used or not being used. And they're they're so engaged with it, or I should say they're in so much resistance to it. So they're not, they're like kind of past the point of just engaging consciously that they've, they, their aura starts just vibrating at like, resistance to money mm-hmm. um because resistance in the in the aura in like the body nervous system aura doesn't have a specificity it's not like oh i have resistance to the president and like the one thing they did with this law and where money was used there it's just resistance to money mm-hmm. um i don't know why that came up but that that delusion I think as you grow in awareness, um, it can become, as you grow in awareness, you're almost asked to grow in not like whitewashed, forced, embodied compassion, but the compassion that arises from wisdom. It has to come with you. Otherwise, you all too easily get stuck into that what other people should be doing. And this is, mm-hmm. this is right. And this is wrong. And I can't believe that person did that. And it can like consume you. Yeah. God, it's, I mean, it's so important to bring that up. You know, I mean, do you want to drag people kicking and screaming into deeper commitments to materialism? You know, I mean, what that's telling everybody what to do or, I mean, I like that you brought up both things because in some ways they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Like, okay. So either I'm as the teacher going to tell everybody what they should do. Um, so I'm going to be completely um, preemptively reactive in a way, because I'm imagining how they might get it wrong if they don't follow me, which probably has something to do with fear in the first place. But then secondly, <clears throat> or the other side of that is like, I don't want to engage with money stuff at all. So I'm going to pull away 
from the fact that people do things differently than I see them. So both of them are like controller flea, you know, they're mm-hmm. both like in response to the all in response to everybody. I mean, there, that is like the huge lesson of non reactivity, you know, this idea of just how do I live with others? How do I really live with others? I, we talked about this on a, a previous show that we did, but it's like, you know, for me, economy represents the all. It represents the ways in which it's it's the it's the physical or conceptual physical conceptual realm picture of how we're all connected in spirit. So all the distribution, the breaks and the flows and all that kind of stuff, that is and and that's also very deeply related to desire. So if we flee, if we try to control how everybody engages with economy, we're trying to control how everybody engages with everybody else in their spiritual lives. And if we flee from economy, we're fleeing from trying to live with others. And it's something that is really, that's really hard to get a handle on, especially if you're in debt and like, like me, you, you know, I am in debt, but like, like me, you are afraid. I'm, I'm not this way anymore, but I used to be afraid like 15, 20 years ago, let's say to open the bill when I came in the mail, I was like, if I open this, it's like the phone bill is like Pandora's box, you know, like, it's just going to be a disaster, you know? Um, And so you can be afraid of the money you owe, how much money you're going to make, how much, whatever. And all those things can, because they bring stress seem like they're evil or something, but all you're really saying is like, in those moments is I haven't, not not always, but I ha- I haven't been able to approach living with everybody. I might be able to live with this person or that person, but the fact is, I've also come here to live with everybody, and we're all doing something now, you know. And there's this um this quote which is by Otto C. Otto Sharma, who started this thing called Theory U at MIT, and he says, "Capital is not money, but spirit in action." The essence of capital and money is that they are realized spirit, the realization of deep human creativity applied to economic value creation. So <clears throat> when I think of that, it's like, <laughs> wow, like if I think that that's what the economy really is, and money is part of it, for sure, it's a huge part of how that shows itself to us and how we engage with each other. Um, what am I? doing when I try to either control or flee um, from that spirit in action. I mean, that's that's not good. <laughs> Probably for most people, it's not going to work out well. Okay. So this isn't like a direct response to what you said, but it's something you said in the story that I feel like could illuminate more within your metaphor that I don't really know yet. It just feels connected. And that's that when you get that bill, or are in debt or overdraft or insert any money experience here. And that I'm really interested in this. Um, And based on previous things that have happened, based on this like complex cocktail of who you are and what's created you up until this moment, like your parents, your programming, your your grandma's relationship to money, the country you live in, everything, all those things together. Um, 
And then that, that bill comes and you haven't even opened it, but your whole system goes into fear or pain or both. What is so interesting to me about money is that experience, if you're able to engage it, um, you will pop into, it will, it will take you into something that has ultimately nothing to do with money. But we as humans have so deeply enmeshed our fear and pain with money to the point that we can't do things like look at numbers. And, and obviously this is nuanced because Often the fear and pain it's bringing up is survival related and survival fears in my experience, like doing healing work are, can be the most difficult to engage. Mm -hmm. They, they can be very, very hard for people to get into a place where they can work with them because those fears run at a level of life or death. So back to like a bill coming we make it about money, but <laughs> here's what I've learned time and time and time again. It's, it's never about money. When you, when you get into it with yourself, it's, it's about all these other things that, that may have correlations to money, but it's not actually about money. It's about can I take care of myself? And my parents weren't able to, and now I have this like ancestral pain. It's about um, worth and value. It's about uh, fear of being incarnated. It's about, it's all the things we're making it mean. And I think money is like the craziest psychedelic on the planet with like the biggest projection field. I, I always joke that like, we're all tripping on money. We are born and then we start tripping on the psychedelic that is money. And most people are having a bad trip to the point where like they see it or get near it and they're all lit up like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to die or like horrible things are happening or I'm in fear. And what I'm talking about, I recognize is not the easiest thing to do, but when you can engage those experiences, um, you'll get to a point and it's like, Again, there's nuance to this because at this layer of the experience, it seems like it's all about money. But as you unwind, money unwinds from the fear. And then you recognize, oh, here's here's the fear that's mine that I've never fully felt or I've never processed. Or here's this thing that I've never actually been able to transform that always comes up in connection with money. And then once you start to get this, not just in concept, but in practice, this really crazy thing starts to happen with money where the thing I say is your money experiences start to become free of money so that money can be free. Huh. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, your money medicine course, so much of that was using ele elements mm -hmm. and different geological states. And I think it was such a great 
way to do it because what you're trying to do is like, okay, you know these states in nature. You can evoke mm-hmm. a kind of feeling of them. So let's start getting in touch with the inner experience here rather than just calling it this thing constantly and see how many different forms this thing money has a solid state, a fire, a ground state, a fire state. And then you had these kinds of blended states too, volcanic state, this sort of thing. And I think that that was really brilliant because it was like, how do I show someone the, the actual experience um, that's available to them and the multitudinous experience. This, this, it brings me to something that when you were just saying there, it was such a, you said, Oh, we get afraid to look at numbers. And I think yeah. about that all the time. Like <laughs> I'm like a pretty with it person. I can read some dense, crazy philosophy book and be like, yes, it says this, this, this. But if I get like an email from, the revenue service here in Ireland about my business, my brain shuts down. Like I mm-hmm. like melting head emoji. I cannot process it. I can't read it. I can eventually, but I have to like, it's like moving through heavy water. Okay. So there's my elemental, like it's like walking in, through a pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you want to dive in and you want to swim underwater, but walking through a pool is really hard when half of you is, you know, submerged and, you know, you, you know, your head is above the water or whatever. It's a slog and it's the inappropriate movement also, but it's a slog. And I was thinking just as soon as numbers come in, part of what the problem is, I think is numbers we've been told our whole lives are fixed. You know, this, notion that mathematics is the universal language. I'm like, well, okay, that's one universe. Sure. Like, I don't even understand what the fuck that statement means or why people say it in science fiction movies all the time, but numbers are an expression of a certain form of time and a certain form of logic, which follows a certain rhythm of time. And I don't know if they are fixed in the way that we talk about them. And so the fear of encountering a cold, um, uh, cold, indisputable fixity really terrifies us. And it, it's interesting because the numbers are actually just kind of non-reactive. And it's something that they're trying to teach us in a way. It's like, you can have an equanimity when you look upon the world by touching something that is true. We do that. We're numbers. Two plus two equals four. You can try to do it however many ways you want. But in this level, that's what you're going to encounter. There are other levels in which you won't encounter that or other ways that you can count to. And by the way, there are some cultures that can't, you know, that don't have numbers beyond four or five, you know. So (laughs) there's plenty of ways to see the world and plenty of ways to see numbers. But our lesson to you is that equanimity is available to you if you go into a certain form of abstraction, logic, time, and look upon the world. So I guess my question to you is like working out of this is like when you work with number, like not money, but number, um, something else happens. I've been noticing this more and more, but I bet you have too. And you play around with number a lot (laughs) when you put up fees, when you uh, you know, come up with dates, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
I think maybe we should talk about that because it's not something anybody talks about when they talk about abundance or money. They might talk about it if they're doing some gematria or like numerology thing, which is great, but number itself very often is still not addressed even in those cases. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So not what I was expecting to say to this. I, so my brain, I'm more like, like I always joke, my fiance and I, I'm young and he's Freud. (laughs) Like, like I have a very archetypally wired brain, patterns, symbols, um, my relationship to numbers has always been more in that realm. My fiance is obsessed with math and he's obsessed with shapes. Mm-hmm. And when I met him, he would like close his eyes all the time and just sit there with his eyes closed. And I would be like, what are you thinking about? And he was like, I'm not thinking. I just see shapes when I close my eyes. And like, he, he, I don't have any next to me right now, but like he welds the, he welds out of metal, the, all the different shapes. Like we have dodecahedrons, we have hexagons, we have octagons. They're all around the house. They're in the garden. They're everywhere. <laughs> and, um, it was through him that I saw another prism of that idea of math being the universal language because all shapes are math and reality mm-hmm. at least as you move into higher planes you can see it more clearly is a bunch of shapes mm-hmm. it's a bunch of geometry we have systems that can explain how we're all walking geometry and how then we're shapes that interact with each other and create third shapes like you and I create a third that only comes together when our two geometries come together. And what people are listening to on this podcast is our third shape that we create. And then when we go away, that shape goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, here's how, like, I'm trying to decide what's important to tell. Um Okay, I have I have to fill in the, the blanks with this. I used to uh, work with psychedelics and some plant medicine very heavily, like it, to the uh, on purpose, take taking large doses of things on purpose. And one of the things that, is it okay if I talk about this on this podcast? I'm of like, course. what's okay. <laughs> Is this the Disney Channel? (laughs) If it were, I wouldn't have any debt. So keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there was this one LSD journey that completely shifted. Like there was me before that and me after that. Um, And it was the, it was the most amount. It was the highest amount of LSD I'd ever taken. And I spent the whole time laying down and I had, I I saw what to me was a, the, one of the movies of the universe. Mm -hmm. 
like the the creation of the universe and then how it flows and how it's continuously life is continuously being created sustained and destroyed i saw that in image form for hours and what i was seeing was this combination of math shapes elements trees roots mycelium blood um like bone and it was just all connecting and creating sustaining and destroying creating sustaining and destroying and there was always this moment where it would all it was like between destruction and creation there was like a and then nothing and there was just like a zero so okay how that then infused later things with money I've had a lot of experiences really wanting to work with, like we were talking about, all the fear and pain we attach to money and numbers or just money experiences. And something, so uh, last winter, I had COVID. I had a very, very high fever. And I went into a visual journey similar to if I had been on a psychedelic. And I saw all the ways I saw all the energy of pain and fear attached to money. I saw how it's gotten so thick and so confusing that most people are, are just completely covered in. I saw like the chains of scarcity mm-hmm. and like the chains of debt. And I, I saw like what looked like living people just covered in them and how all of this energy had built been built on top added to creation sustenance and destruction and i was like very high fever and <laughs> was looking at the pain my pain and then the pain in my lineage and like our specific money pain and just looking at that was so it was so much and then just like on that journey a really long time ago there was this like and it stopped and everything was destroyed and there was like a f- mm. and everything that was attached to money left and then i just saw a big zero which zeros are really big for me with money mm. <laughs> i just saw a big zero mm. and then i heard it's all a joke <laughs> <laughs> it's all a play it's all a play a play that's continuously create recreating sustaining and destroying itself mm. and that Money is also this big play. I don't have all the connections made from that experience yet because it was only last winter, but it greatly reminded me of what Chris says he sees when he closes his eyes. How like all of the fear and pain and all this stuff was a bunch of fucked up geometry. And then something was like, this is wrong. Back to zero. Mm. (laughs) And it all went away and started over so that it could like move back into that cycle as what it is, not everything we've put on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never talked about this like that. <laughs> it's, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's so important to, I mean, you know this, but it's just, it's so important to talk about when we're ready. And when we think it will offer something, these strange encounters, because they're so real, they can be so intimate and, they require honesty 
in ways that using borrowed language or stories or images do not. And so just the the pathway to expressing the story is bringing in something, you know, which is like, no, I've got to be as honest as I can be. I think it's, I, I have to think about what I have to say about that because it it's a profound image. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I mean, definitely our lives follow those arcs of total creation and, you know, destruction of the body and, you know, re- entering into the kingdom of the dead and coming back into incarnation again and again. Um, I think when we talk about, when you're talking about geometry, it's like, we all know that geometry has an inner reality because if you walk in the shape of a star, it feels different than if you walk in the shape of a circle. And so if you walk in the shape of a two or a three, you even then are going to feel different if you pay attention to how you're walking. So we can evoke the inner experience of shape just through walking. Now, it's hard to walk in a cube, <laughs> but if you're in a cube room versus if you're in, you know, um, I mean, that's why people make different shaped rooms to heal people, often with different colors on the insides of the walls. Um, there are these color chambers and they're really stunning. Um, but at least if you want to start with 2D, you can find the the truth in that. And it's also true that, you know, when we make a shape, we tend to just draw it, you know, the outline of it. But there's a whole form of geometry, projective geometry, which is non-Euclidean geometry, which creates the shape by drawing around it. And it's not just through cross-hatching. It's this completely different way of constructing the shape. And one of the things that I find so interesting about projective geometry is that its basic principle is um, that parallel lines meet in what is called the infinitely distant point. So it's not that parallel lines never meet or never touch each other, but they do meet in the infinitely distant point. And what is the infinitely distant point? Mm. Projective geometrists don't really say this, but I will say it, which is they meet in their form. I see them and therefore they meet because I recognize them as doing the same thing. So therefore they are touching in my perception of them. So it brings in my inner life in a way projective geometry does. I'm sure Chris would actually love to do projective geometry if he's never done it. You should just buy him some projective geometry textbooks, um, (laughs) buying them them for him. Um, But so when I'm thinking about walking zero, first of all, um, what does that, what does that mean? What does it mean to have the inner experience of zero? Zero isn't nothing. <laughs> this is what I think we have, like, I, I largely reject the concept of nothingness, like all together, because it's always something, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, our experience is a product of addition. If we want to talk about things in terms of math, Every time I encounter something, I add to it. There's a philosopher, Gilles Deleuze, who says difference is repetition, um, which is, you know, he, he said he was the first person to think of it, but actually Rudolf Steiner thought of it first. It's like, when I meet Pilar for the first time, we have an encounter. Then I see you again, and I bring everything I had from that encounter last time 
to you and you become different because I'm repeating an experience. You know, just like I add, I add, I add. The world is just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. So even if things are tearing apart, they're tearing apart from that, from a previous zero, you know, from a previous zero. And it's just adding and Mm -hmm. adding, you know? And so we keep adding these layers and these levels and we're doing it right now. I mean, infinite levels of newness are being contributed just by you and I having this conversation. That shape you're talking about is a new shape. It's never existed before, even though you and I have talked before. And I can see the ways in which we're not ready for these certain fragments or shards or strange geometrical um, presences to enter into our bodies. It's not a surprise that a lot of microbes and microbial beings have strange shapes to us also when we look at them and we call our illnesses, you know, bacteria or virus. And these things have these strange little almost pollutant shards that enter into our stream. And one of them enters COVID, you know, and it screws everything up for the longest time. This tiny microscopic thing, as soon as you introduce shape. And so that's why there are people doing biogeometry where they're like, draw this shape and you'll heal. Now, whatever we think of that, whatever, but or homeopathy where it's like, okay, we're going to um, dilute this substance into nothingness, but it's encounter mm-hmm. with the water will change the shape of what it is. And then you're going to put it in your body. Shape is so, so profound. And I think it's a really good way to think about number. Think about the shapes of numbers. You know, there's a lot of exercises you can do just meditating on the shapes of numbers and what they look like and revealing uh, to you what what they are. Again, why does nobody ever talk about this when they talk about money? It's always about this abstract, um, which is fine. It's fine. But abstract notion of quantity, quantity, how much in your bank account, how much whatever. But there's a whole mystery of number that can come into these discussions. (laughs) (laughs) you're like you're like human lsd that's what you're like you're not the only person that said that to me (laughs) yeah that's what you are that's good trussell said that to me too he was like you're like a living psychedelic and i was like okay i love duncan trussell i the fact that he and i gave you the same compliment i my ego is so happy right now (laughs) (laughs) same reflection um yeah, because you are though, because every drop of you, a new like reality is opened up in my brain that I hadn't really previously thought of, but that I can like spin things I have to kind of match mm. like mm, this has overlap or this has threads of connection. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but I never really have anything to say about exactly what you said because I haven't thought about exactly what you said. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> um, I feel the same way. But- I feel the same way. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I read your stuff and I'm like, what? And like, and I have to like, <laughs> you know, like it, it messes me up, you know? <laughs> the, 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 so it, my thought on that is like, those are the best people who to have conversations. Yes, totally. The, the people who look at what each other is saying or writing and are like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. never thought of that. Yeah. So, okay. To what you said. Um, that last part you said, what I'm hearing, like the, the, the way I kind of perceive that when you're like, why is it so focused on this more abstract, like gaining quantity and all the other things that come in with it? 
what we're talking about is a not the predominant, not even close to the predominant like brain style on the planet, and b isn't taught. Mm. It isn't taught. Like um, one of the things you learn as an energy worker is how to perceive energy, and this is always so interesting to me. The parts of the brain that requ- that are required to be active and trained to perceive energy is the part of the brain that knows that the part of the brain that is responsible for perceiving our own emotions. And then the part of the brain that is responsible for imagination. Mm -hmm. And that first one is also the part that helps you perceive energy, which emotions are energy. And the second one, the imagination is what's responsible for doing things with energy. So what you're describing this way of, Thinking and perceiving, especially applied to money, is not taught, I would say, on purpose. <laughs> like, not, not taught, not integrated into society. Um, and I would say that if we go back in time to ancient civilizations, we'd probably start to see more of an integration of it. But money was different then. Currency and commerce were different then. Um, then to what you said about zero I have done exactly what you said and sat with zero and I did it at my poorest (laughs) Mm, I I and again I would preface this with because I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked about this a handful of times and I always get a slew of people who come to me and they're obviously in some sort of trauma response and they're freaked out and they're like, I have zero dollars and I'm I'm going to do what you said. And I'm like, okay, okay, wait, wait, because I'll, I'll give the whole context here. I was able to do this because I was there. There was practical and energetic reasons, like practically or logistically. I was living on a farm, so I had a home. It was just a farm. I was working on it. So I had food provided. I had, I had housing and food provided through living and working on this farm. I was, I was doing a thing called woofing. So my basic needs were taken care of. I didn't have to think about how I was going to get food or where I was going to live. Um, that to me gave me a green light to just work with, I have no money. I have $0 and see what would happen. So I started doing these zero meditations where I'd like light my beeswax candles, put on some weird music, do a little bit of energy work and open up my bank account and just look at the $0. And I would purposely let the zero light up everything I was making that mean. Fear, pain, story, emotion, thought forms, a lot of which didn't belong to me, but it was good to fluff them all up so I could clear what wasn't mine. And I did that until I could open my bank account, see the zero and laugh and go, this means nothing until money could be free until I could engage it. I can engage the money separate from all these other things. And it took me a while. What do you think happened Once I was at the point where I opened up the zero and it didn't do anything to my system other than make me chuckle. 
that's when money started appearing. (laughs) I get it. Because then the zero becomes, I mean, the, the thing I know, it's just the shape of the, 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 should I just really go for it? Um, I'm trying to think. Yes. Well, it's with, you, I, with you, I would, but I'm just wondering if it will alienate people if I say it in a certain way. So I'm trying to, you know. The shape through which money can flow through your life is an empty hole. It's a portal. It has to come through the back, into and through the front. And And then flow where it's meant to flow. So, yes, the moment the zero means nothing, it actually becomes what it is, which is this portal through which things can appear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And isn't it, you know what I'm like thinking about right now too? There's all that, like in rap songs, <laughs> I, I, I love hip hop yeah. and I have this whole like side project where I'm fascinated with the way they relate to money in hip hop uh-huh. and how they rap about it and how it's just, uh-huh. it's such a big part of the culture. And, but in this very specific way, um, because a, a lot of them had nothing. And then came into immense sums of money once they became famous. Anyway, yeah. sidebar. Yeah. But they're always talking about adding zeros. It's it's such a common line. What is when you're wealthy? It's all about how many zeros there are. It's it's not about any other number in wealth. It's just about how many zeros. Right. No one <laughs> says seven million. They're always like mm-hmm. millionaire, like or like billionaire. It's not. Right, because you can see if those are if those are aqueducts almost, you can see all the water coming out, and maybe that other number is down at the end of the bridge. It's like the flagpole, flagpole or something, mm-hmm. or the signpost of it. But you can see the water going through all those extra passages. Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> it is about zero, and there's like there's like this infinite compounding energy because even like in hip hop, one of the reasons, again, it's interesting to me is so many of these famous rappers stories is I had no money. My family had no money. I had no money. Mm. So they're literally starting at zero and then they find themselves at like eight zeros. Mm. And there's, there's this crazy there's this crazy compounding effect with zero and I experienced it. And when I said in that story, money started appearing, I should be clear. Like I wasn't like, Oh my God, I did a zero meditation for a month and now I'm rich. It was like, it was like $200. (laughs) Now there's 500. Oh, now I have a bill for $500. Cause I still got a lot of stuff on holding on to money. So there it goes again. Like, (laughs) but, but, I I think about that zero story so often because it hasn't been like this for me not by any means, but that was, oh, we're not videotaping ourselves. It hasn't been a perfect <laughs> upward line, yeah. just adding and adding and adding. Yeah. But that moment, which a lot of moments led to that moment, of course, there was a lot of things that kind of had to be decided for me to even get there. But I really see that moment as this point of like, that's where I really remember the soil, like the soil opening up mm. for, for things to be planted 
for this compounding effect that in my experience has been a lot more like nature than like a straight line. Mm -hmm. My experience with money is much more how you would see something grow most of the time naturally than this. And this is like, we haven't talked about this, but then this very much idealized and constantly verbally articulated parasitic nonstop upward growth that's supposed to happen in money manifestation, in corporate structures, in systems. This whole idea is like, if it's not constantly going up like this, something's wrong. But but my experience has been much more like, like how things grow. Like I garden, that's how things grow. It it's and something I find so interesting that I talk about in money medicine is when something is stagnant or overgrowing, it's sick in nature. Mm-hmm. When it's not growing and when it can't stop growing and it's it's starting to take over, something's wrong in the ecosystem. Something's off. Right. Or or new and invasive, right? Like so Correct. if you have <clears throat> I don't, I actually don't know the names of most invasive plants, but let's just talk about one that grows like, you know, uh, what are blackberries, right? Like those are raspberries or something like that grow like crazy. Blackberries. Right? I blackberries, love blackberries. Right. Mm-hmm. They grow like crazy. And also it's very interesting that blackberries are the berry, which the Archangel Michael knocked Satan into, which is why you're not supposed to eat them after Michael Moss because they've been affected by the devil. So this is this whole thing we can discuss <laughs> if you want. So after, yeah. So like on Michael, Ma- like the legend is that like when uh, the Archangel Michael like defeated the dragon or the devil, whatever image you want, he kicked them, in- he kicked him into earth. And the first thing he fell through was the blackberry bush. And that's, so that happens on, Michael Moss, so you're not supposed to eat them after that date, or you're consuming this product that's like <laughs> tainted when with is the devil's the presence. The 29th of September. Oh, she's reviewing everybody. She has a reviewing her Blackberry. Expression. No, no, it, I, I'm. That's when. That's when you. That's when they're. Uh, here where I live, that's when yeah. they're not good anymore. Yeah, well, that's part. That's part of it, right? So yeah, but <laughs> but blackberry bushes grow like crazy, right? Like they grow very fast. But I'm trying to think of a more invasive uh, kudzu, right? Isn't that one of them? That's like you're you have too much of it, um, and I think it's that's something new introduced to a system that hasn't been there before. So we can say it's wrong, or we can say it's something also. And it is wrong sometimes there's something ill or there's something sick, but sometimes it's actually just something new that's trying to understand how to live in its environment, you know? And I think that that happens sometimes too. I think when I'm like blackberries are Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Like blackberries are Amazon prime. Yeah. Yeah. Which I use, by the way. I mean, just to like, me too. Right? Me too. No, yeah. no. I, I I look at Amazon Prime. Just think about the name Amazon. Yeah, it's totally. the Amazon is huge. The yeah. name means big. Yeah, and it's yeah. here, and we're all using it. We're yeah. we're all using it, and it's here, and it's taking up a lot of space. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting that our 
a real like back and forth conversation politically about money systems is absolute growth or totally controlled distribution. So either capitalism yeah. or socialism. I mean, what could be, I mean, it's abs- It's totally bizarre that these are the mm-hmm. two choices and that there's, you know, so either we control it and distribute it completely equally, regardless of whatever that means, or we just let it go on its own and just go crazy. Now, I mean, neither of those <laughs> sound very appealing to me. And also they don't, I don't learn a lesson out of either of those either. It's kind of like the polls you were talking about before. I mean, I feel so guilty a lot of times about the way that I handle money. Like I, I got a big check earlier this year for my novel. So it was the first royalties check. It was like the biggest check, the biggest single check probably I've ever gotten. And I was like, holy shit. You know, um, I mean, I've, I've made more money than that on other things, but as far as just one payment on something, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. And it's all gone now. And I'm like, what did I do with that? Like, it's all gone. Like, I know I paid off some debts, but now I have these other debts. Like, I know I have this. It's like, and I feel terrible about it. Like, I feel very guilty. So I think also, um, I just want to bring in that feeling level of thinking like, well, here is this wild thing that, you know, it has this real life of its own and we can see that quite clearly. But then when I can't control it or I can't make it get overgrown, I feel terrible. (laughs) I mean, and I can mediate the feeling, you know, probably better than a lot of people. Like I can, you know, cause I can do inner work to just look at it, see what happened there, whatever. But that it's, there is a a specter that follows me around. Like, no, you didn't, you didn't do it. You didn't invest that. You didn't spend it the right way. You didn't pay off the debts the right way. You know, like constant chatter. Mm -hmm. So in my experience with things like that, this is again, where it's, it, it has nothing to do with money. Like Mm -hmm. money came and (laughs) Something I've been working with recently is like the difference between money as a mirror and money as a window and how for most of us, it's a mirror. We don't get it. It's for money to be a window. The it's open. We're looking through it at what's possible, not getting things reflected back to us that we end up not liking or, or feeling guilty about or wondering what happened, which is like, I've just thought of this. Like there's that funny kind of thing too like in culture and society where people are like aging and they look in the mirror and they're like what happened like when did this (laughs) right right. (laughs) um but that's right that happens with money like every month to most people like you're like oh bank account shit like it is that moment of like wait i'm old you know like wait i don't but we do that with money like every week every month you know whatever yes yeah yes and like so many things happened and are a part of you mm-hmm. prior to that money appearing. So when that money appeared, there was a, 
Okay, this is so cool. I just don't normally explain it this way. It's like so many things had kind of already been stacked. You had debt to pay and I'm sure there was other things. And so when the money came, it was like, okay, here's everything that's been waiting for money to come. Boom, 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 boom. Money's gone. Mm. And something I've noticed, because I think this is a really common experience, is to actually have the experience of money arriving and they're getting to be more of a not only like conscious engagement with it, but it gets to go. Um, it gets to go through the window, not just be reflected in the mirror. Right. So not just be reflected in the mirror by like, here's this thing in the mirror that I need to pay for. Here's this thing. Here's this thing. And when I describe the window, it's like, I think we all have very unique things that make us very excited that have to do with, with money. Um, just like we all have unique interests and desires and taste. I think we all have a unique money design. And I think the world at large, whatever's created it, has done us a huge disservice into making most people think that you money is to save, to have a 401k, <laughs> make sure you do right. this. And there are people who I know them, they love that shit. That makes them genuinely excited to do like classic old school money management. But that's not everyone. There are people who, if they, I love asking people this question. If you had money to play with, what would you do? Right. Money to play with. Everything else is taken care of. This money is just for play and clear anything that's not yours. Like, oh, I donate it. Like, no, do, do what's <laughs> actually there. And what you'll find is like some people genuinely are like, I would donate it. Some people genuinely are like, I would start a huge savings account for my child. Other people are like, I would take all of my friends and we, we'd go to this place or I'd surprise my mom. Or, But you start to see what life would be like if money came and there was a window and not just a mirror. And I think that to get to that point, it's not easy because there has to be a lot of other stuff sort of tended to of like, okay here's all the things that money has to go to. Why are these here? Um, what has created these things? Some of them uh, will probably have to stay, but maybe not all of them. Um, I'll give like a really classic example. When I first started making money, I would get a bill or something pretty immediately for the exact amount yeah, totally. I had. And I was like, okay, something in my system um, doesn't know how to just have money, doesn't know how to just have money. Mm. When I explored that, of course, it had nothing to do with money. Um, but <laughs> it, exploring that was not just like, okay, one and done, got that today all cleaned up. Now I can have money. It took, it took consistency. It took continuously being like, okay, what's going on here? And what it was a smorgasbord of things, but it's, it's so unique for each person. But this is a long time ago too. when like my money reality was so simple. I'm like 23. So once I had started to transform that, I was able to have money a little bit more. And then money was more of a window than a mirror. So for most people, it's what you said, money's there and then it's gone. And then you're like, where'd it go? And, and, 
this is this is uncomfortable because a lot of the people on the planet who do have more of a window with money regardless of all the meaning and story and emotion we attach to them and circumstance and all these things etc 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 the people who are embodying that we often hate totally we often hate them and we and i'm not saying that our reasons for not liking them aren't valid but we get so mired in our resistance to people who are embodying things that aspects of it could be helpful for us that we miss it <laughs> God, there's so much to say. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, first I'm thinking just like the amount of times I am like, oh, I don't want to look like one of those people that people despise. So, oh, yeah. I say that I, what there's the obvious thing that anybody in the public eye, no one ever wants to admit that they failed or like are having a bad day or have debt or whatever. Like, I think all that. Some, there's there's an aspect to that that makes sense to me because people are looking often looking to you to be like I need to shore up myself against the disasters that are you know in the world and if I hear you say things are challenging even if you're facing them with total equanimity and calmness I'm gonna project my emotional body onto what I hear you saying and then think yeah. oh Connor or Pilar is also like really fucked up and going through a terrible time how am I gonna manage you know it's like that kind of thing so I understand that like and I'm not I wouldn't blame anybody for that because sometimes I do that myself when I hear someone like you know going through something but I but I think there's also just the thing of like, um, I sometimes am like, well, if I talk about how much money I made on that book, are people still going to give me money through my Patreon? Or they think that I have a lot of money and then I have to say that I don't, and then they're not going to want to give me money on my Patreon. Cause they're like, who's this guy is not even su- successful or like, whatever it is. It's just like, there's no way out of that diamond trap. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mess. So I was thinking about that. I was also thinking about when you're talking about you get money and then the bill comes in. Right. And that, you know, and the op- the opposite happens all the time. You get the bill and then the money comes in, but it's the same result ultimately. And, you know, and I do that all the time. I can get myself bailout money very quickly, but I, but I don't, if you keep bailing yourself out, then all the money that comes to you will be bailout money. Right. So, and there'll always be a leak in the boat. So you're, you need something that's not just bailout money. Um, and so I was thinking about <laughs> the picture that came to my mind was that zero being at your feet. So the zero is a drain. So it's, you're bringing money in yeah. from like here, <laughs> or it's showering down mm-hmm. on you and like, it's just going down the drain right away. As opposed to mm-hmm. if you locate the the portal of the zero in your heart or in a different location in your embodiment, then the stream of it comes through and it's not just you know, it's not below you. So it's just all like, you know, you can, you can imagine a cartoon character that's like, you know, falling through a series of infinite holes because, (laughs) and that's what it's like when you have, you know, there's a hole above you and a hole below you and you just keep falling through the dimensions. That's what it's like when you're getting the bill and then the money for the same amount as the bill or then getting the money and then the bill for the same amount as the money. It's like, like this cartoon thing. Whereas, if you actually allow things to pass through you, if you hold on to that, 
uh, portal, if you make it part of yourself, then that's something else. So some of it has to do with appropriately placing where it comes through. And that is, you know, for lack of better term, maybe sh- that can be chakra work. That can be, you know, uh, that can be field work, whatever anybody wants to call that, or you can just call it psychological work. I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to work with will. Um, and where I stand, I'm going to work with my heart, you know, and my, my, mm-hmm. my love for the world. You know, there are lots of different ways to talk about it for people that don't want to <laughs> go through some of the ways that you and I are talking about it right now. <laughs> Maybe that's not the oh best access. Yeah. For yeah. It, it can be as simple as, opening up a journal or, or having someone ask you questions like why, what, why can't you hold on to money? Mm -hmm. How does that make you feel? What, what does it feel like when the money comes in? What have, have you ever been around anyone else who couldn't hold on to money or were were you, what were your parents like with money? Like it's (laughs) the access points Mm -hmm. are plentiful, plentiful that like that we have an abundance (laughs) money offers us an endless stream of abundance of opportunities to become more of who we are Mm. um to to transform because it i always think about the things with the biggest psychic projection fields on the planet it's like money sex um food is pretty big food is a big one it's all the things we have to interact with as humans that like you can't really opt out from most of them um like you can opt out from sex but it's like well most people aren't graded by it so there's yeah you can't opt out from food you can't really opt out from money it's like generally these are things we have to interact with there's also huge projection fields around things like relationships uh childbirth is a big one and parenting like these are all things that are just kind of primal or I mean, money, I wouldn't say is primal, but these are just parts of being human. And the projection fields are so big. And we tend to, most people just fall asleep in them because the projection field is so big. Like, and when I say fall asleep, I don't mean fall asleep, like, like being awake and like knowing what crystals are versus asleep. I mean, fall asleep, like you get bounced out of your personal experience and just go unconscious. Like when you drive somewhere and you don't know how you got there, it's like you, you bounce out of a lot of these experiences. So the projection field, and this ties into what you're saying too, the projection field with money, especially in the last few years is so big and so gnarly. People have so much fear and so much judgment and so much pain to the point of what you were talking about, where all you have to do is like peek out the window, like psychically, and you're already aware of the infinite triggered reactions that would come if you were to announce how much money you made from your book, like what that would do to everyone. Um, So to that point that you were talking about, I actually have, I think about this a lot. And it's the thing I think about is, well, for me, it's, it's different for every person. So when I think about it for me, I think what is the value in, if there is any, in me talking about how much money I've made or make or using numbers in any way, 
Like, what's the value in that? And there's really obvious things. Um, so I'll, I'm going to kind of break this down because otherwise it won't make sense. Here's there's there's what happens um, in a more obvious way on, especially on the internet, and that's that people hate you. <laughs> and you do that. like people hate you. That's just like the most obvious one. Everyone's like, wow, look at her. Or like, look at them posting. I can't, but like people are mean. It's yeah. it's really crazy what it does to people. What I've noticed specifically with women who decide to do this is they have to abandon a lot of things that make them a woman to sustain being able to talk about and share how much money they make and feel safe to continue doing so. They usually have to start running a more defensive kind of masculine style aura of like, don't fuck with me. Like, this is how much money I make. Like just it, it, I see it all the time of like, for, for you to continue doing this, you've had to abandon so many parts of yourself and even beyond masculine, feminine, they've just had to abandon parts of themselves to make it sustainable, which it actually isn't when you're abandoning parts of yourself. So I see that and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Can, <laughs> can then, I just say something just right yeah. there? Because that was yeah. something I'd always say to people who are going to do sex work. I'm like, look, do it like whatever. It's your choice to do it if you need money or whatever. But one of the things that you might want to think about is when people ask you about it, are you going to have to say either, well, it was just to get through college or fuck you. Yeah. So what? Like, can you actually yeah. say, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, maybe it's complicated sometimes. Maybe I feel fuck you sometimes. Maybe I feel apologetic sometimes. Maybe it is just for the money. Maybe it is just for this, but it fits into the context of who I am. And that was always like a piece of advice I would give to people whenever they came to me and were like, I was thinking about doing sex work. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like do it out of need or out of excitement or out of whatever, but think about this response, like this polarity of response. So it's the same for sex in and money in that field. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. They're best friends, sex totally. and money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they they have been projected onto so friends. insidiously. <laughs> I see them hanging out all the yeah. time. They're like, totally. nobody approaches us as we are. Nobody right. ever gives us the time of day just as we are. It's always what mm. they think we are. Um mm. so I've noticed that with the whole, like, you, everyone gets mad at you. And another way to perceive what I'm talking about is how celebrities are. Mm. Everyone knows how much money they have and how much money they make. And they either are in, like, complete hiding from the public sphere or they're like, yeah, I'm a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, right, right. <laughs> there, I don't see a lot of examples of people um, in flow with it where they haven't abandoned parts of themselves um, in this thing about them being publicly known. And, and so then, okay, back to like my industry, I see that first thing happening a lot. And now to me, I have dabbled in sharing numbers. I have shared um, months of income before, not like a breakdown of my bank accounts, but like how much I made that month. I've written articles on it. Um, I have shared vaguely like how much the business has made as a whole. 
And I did it really intentionally knowing that I probably, it felt authentic to do so, but it didn't, I knew there would be stuff there for me. So I I knew what I was getting into. It didn't feel like a hundred percent, this is going to flow. It felt like I want to try this. We'll see what happens. And here's what I noticed. And this, I'm still like figuring this one out. The second (laughs) I did that, a lot of people interpreted it as me, not verbally, but probably psychically articulating. And if you do anything with me, this is what will happen to you. <laughs> right, right. Which that is something I didn't want to be a part of it, but the industry has made that such a huge thing of oh, share, share how much money you're making, share your lavish this, share, 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 share. Because then people see that's what's possible for them when they work with you and blah, blah, blah. So I I did that a few times and I ended up taking it all away. Because the amount of people I saw then coming into my work, Mm. frustrated, like, first of all, not saying a good hello to me or my work at all, not, not good at all. They had a picture of what it was and what they were supposed to get. I can't control those people by any means, but I saw how they got there and they saw those numbers and that's what brought them in. It felt very karmic to me. And I was like, okay, taking them down does not feel an integrity i'll revisit it at a future time if it does but and i've noticed a ton of other subtle subtle layers that come into it so to what you were saying to share that (laughs) oh i think you have to have a pretty if you want to do it without abandoning parts of yourself you have to have like a pretty strong capacity but it is going to open up Pandora's boxes for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like it just will. And you can't control that. And and something I've noticed, I d- don't share numbers anymore. But the second I start talking about money, a bunch of people leave and a bunch of new people come in. Mm. A bunch of people leave who are like, wow, I can't believe. <laughs> 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 like the, it's just the it's that old money isn't spiritual. You're a capitalist, like blarty blar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> there's, I, it's so interesting to me that we kept it. We did keep it pretty close to money this time. Usually, we go in a lot of different places, um, but it stayed pretty close and. You know, I just want to continue this conversation with you because it's, it's, there's so much there. I think that this conversation reveals how much is there to anybody who's listening and everything that's like unexamined, unlooked at. And, And by us too, I'm sure people listening are like, but what about this? What about this? You know, and, um, I would really love the chance to just, like have you back on just to talk about money and economy and numbers and I mean all over again, because I feel like we have not even begun (laughs) talking for like an hour and a half and we haven't even begun. So I hope you'll, I hope you'll do that with me. Pilar, let's go. Yes. I, I love talking about money and I think we should know that this is really important. This is possible 
this conversation because we are for the most part doing our best to stay current with each other and what we're saying and not go into our pain pictures and be like, because that is what happens most of the time with most people when you start talking about money is they go into their frozen idea of this or their frozen belief of this and now you're bad and this is good and that's right and I'm mad and you're wrong and there's no space for an actual conversation there's just okay now you need to go to therapy like (laughs) or like you need to take a b because you're not here with me anymore you're and and that is the main like in money medicine the first ley line is from scarcity to safety. Mm-hmm. It's a continuum. And we start there because what's really going on with most people is money gets brought up and it lights something up for them and then they don't feel safe. So they're obviously not going to stay in that conversation with you in a clear way because they're not feeling safe. So to to even have these conversations where we're not like, we're not overriding things in the name. It's the beginning of the conversation. We're not like, here's what you need to do to make money. Like it right. works for everyone. You create right. your reality, but then we're also not making money the devil. Like we're not making it a God and we're not making it Satan. <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it's so right. It's so important. I think to say all that, I, I've had amazing times with the money that comes in and I've had terrible times with the money that comes in and I've had amazing times without the money and amazing times and hard times without it, you know, and they're all, it's all over the place. And I think all those pictures can be very real. I think Mm -hmm. part of, part of what you're talking about, that triggery response Oh, God, I was just thinking this would be the end of the conversation, but maybe I, I just want to throw this in, let you respond, and then we're gonna we'll come to an end here. But I was I think a lot about <clears throat> predictions, um, predictions about anything, um, but particularly by esotericists and occultists um, and people who are doing magic around money, whatever it is. They're so often, not always, there are some people that are clean and great with their predictions, but mostly they damage, um, they, they do damage to everybody's psyche because to come up with a picture of the future, you have to deny people's freedom to direct how things go. So the picture of the future is coming to you from a presence or a being that's telling you to deny freedom to others so that you go and tell people with your picture where their freedom is denied, given to you by something dark, what's going to happen to the world or to them. And you are feeding and fueling that off of their loss of directive. And so Mm -hmm. money lives in the world of predictions every day, the stock market, 
um, and everything like that, and and uh, opportunity cost, cost benefit analysis, all that kind of stuff, lives in this attempt to fix time. So no wonder people approach it and they feel completely unfree, because it's constantly being drained and worked with by people engaging with beings that are trying to give them a picture of the future, which denies human freedom. So it takes a lot inwardly to be able to navigate and mediate all of that. Yes. <laughs> yes. That That's such a good description of something I see too. That's it's, um, I, I could say so many things to this, but the the one I'll say one, I, I know you're not, I'm pretty sure you're not super into astrology, but, um, <laughs> but the ahead. archetypes of the planets. So mm. Saturn in astrology is the ruler of the physical world and rules things that are inherently limiting, like time, taxes, mm. <laughs> like everything you just described is very Saturnian. It's that it's the like, make sure you save and what's your savings account going to do and what should you invest all, all those. It's so great how you described it too, because it's so wrought with both real limitation, but then also a limitation that you just pointed out is an illusion. Mm -hmm. So it's both. There's like actual limitation there because we're going to die and time is finite in this incarnation for each body we're in. But then there's like the illusion of limitation of like, you better make the right decision and you better like think about it this way and make sure you save this and invest it. But don't, and it, how it's like also sidebar for next conversation. I think um, we should talk about GameStop. <laughs> We've talked about GameStop both other times, but it continues to be like this thing, right? Like we definitely the, the, like to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The I, media is yeah. purposely making it into a joke. <laughs> like it was a joke. It, anyway, anyway. So um, <laughs> I, I that popped up into my head because this is weird, but the people that I have seen who are most aware of what we're talking about, that delusion of limitation are people who do things like day trade and mm -hmm. work on Wall Street. They're aware it's all a fucking joke. That that limitation that everyone freaks out about is an illusion. They're playing in that illusion every day. They're bending oh. it and warping it. So anyway, Saturn <laughs> rules that. And this whole idea, there's this idea that you don't really get access to what lives beyond Saturn, which are things like Neptune, complete mm -hmm. connection to, to gods and the all and spirit, uh, Uranus connection to like crazy innovation and like uh updating of systems and structures pluto deep deep transformation of the of the psyche and like the whole the whole psyche of the world like these crazy kind of outer body planets the whole idea is saturn is what gives you access to those mm -hmm. and i find that so interesting because i'm really interested in saturn because my experience is you take that. So here's what happens. People, we live in this world. And what happens is what you just said. People come up to Saturn and they are drained of any co-creative power and they're tired and they're exhausted and they never get to walk through Saturn's doors. They are literally killed by 
real limitation, but then also the delusion of limitation. And in my experience working with Saturn, he opens his doors to those other planets when you start recognizing what limitation is and what it is not and how limitation is like, it's what you said. There's, there's limitation that we have to interact with. And then there's limitation that we can take and like blow up. Right. And, and it's, but it's through my experiences. It's through the, the conscious interaction with limitation that you reach that more limitless play type feeling. So I have a module in money medicine and there's a line in it or like a little chapter in it. And it's called the play and delusion of savings accounts <laughs> because that's what they are. They're this big mass delusion that of course has logical and practical reasons. Like it, it take away everything we've all been taught about savings accounts and then just think about them. Just <laughs> yeah. they're hilarious. If they're you take away mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and then, and then ask, ask yourself, okay, if I were to do that, what would be the thing that allowed me to like actually want to do that? Not I have to, or I should because of this thing I learned. And to me, that's how you save. And a lot of times you'll find, well, I don't really, I don't really have anything that's resourcing me into saving. And this is, I understand can be very reckless because we're just on a podcast and I'm not walking people through all of my <laughs> like things, but I'm like, then don't save right now. Right. Don't for, don't should yourself to save right now. Let, let it be something that there will be points in your life where having savings is probably going to be great. And you're going to be totally in flow with doing that. But most people who save most of the way we're taught, nobody's in flow with it. They're like, I have to put money in my savings account. (laughs) Totally. Well, because savings is like the picture of the dragon sitting on top of the pile of gold. It's like, it's fucking smog. Like you want... (laughs) savings accounts happen and work and exist because a bunch of people that want money to have a certain relationship to time are sitting on a ton of money and telling everybody to do the same thing. In fact, money should lose value over time, not accrue value over time because it should be incentivized in a society that makes sense where money is allowed to flow and go into the eddies that it wants to and move around, it should be incentivized to circulate and to move and we should be moving it and using it. Now, I know that we don't live in that culture right now, but in a culture where that actually does happen, which we could be working towards or a society where that healthy social organism would mean that money would live in circulation, which would mean that it would lose value if you held onto it the same way that water becomes stagnant and overrun with algae in a pond. Instead of it being like this, hoarding, you know, thing, like the voice that you just did is the voice of, you know, <laughs> the order. So, uh, so I understand, like, I'm not telling people don't save uh, the same as you, mm-hmm. but it's like, until like, but can you save to the point where you're willing to contribute to a world where saving is irrelevant? I think that that's important as well. Yeah. Or, and, or recognize that the reason you haven't been able to successfully save is because the energy is driving you to do it. You don't actually resonate with. (laughs) They don't belong to you. They're not natural to you. The the things that that drive why we should be saving, most people on a a fundamental level are like, uh. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> totally. Because those th- that's a concept of time that's been seized by certain powers. It's like a complete reverse of the time aspect that's supposed to be placed on or coupled with money. So, of course, it's not going to resonate with Dark Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. And now that the world is, the core is revolving in a different, the center of the earth is revolving in a different way than the rest of the planet. We can probably reverse time and like start doing these new things with money, but Pilar Lesko, we will have to talk about that (laughs) next time. (laughs) I always love talking with you and I'm just so happy to have you on the show again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And everybody, thank you for going on this (laughs) journey with us again. Bye now.